God, those communists are amazing. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Left Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him. It's not him here with Sterling, he, him. Darren, he, him. Ward, he, him. And I guess tonight is Ryan, he, him, from the Activist News Network. How's it going, Ryan? Yeah, everything's good, man. Nice to meet you all. Thank you for coming on. Why don't you go ahead and plug all your social media, plug your uh, Instagram and your YouTube channel for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my Instagram is the Activist News Network. Check it out. Uh, YouTube is also Activist News Network. Check out the show. It's an excellent show. We focus on current events, uh, really focusing on liberation movements, past and present, and also with a focus on pan-Africanism, internationalist consciousness, and we try to center political prisoners. Most recent episode was Lorenzo Camboa Irving, and then our second most recent episode was Daruba Bin Wahad. So highly recommend it. Check it out. There's something there for, for everyone on the left. Hell yeah. But yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah, I will absolutely put all the links in the show notes for everybody who wants to uh, go to your YouTube channel and Instagram and all your relevant social media, for sure. But uh, so tonight, we're going to talk about the Biden administration so far. So I just invited you on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Ryan, just because I've been following your page for a bit and I'd like to post and everything. And um, yeah, I just thought you would be a good guest to have on. And when I gave you a, a list of potential topics that we have in mind, you picked the Biden and Ben so far, so it's obviously something that you, you know, feel passionate about and would like to talk about. And then it just ended up being even more relevant in the last week or so. Uh, we haven't recorded in a while. We definitely haven't all seen each other or talked in a bit, but uh, it's nice to do that. And it's sure as a hell of a time to do it. I really want to have somebody, I want to have some women, just somebody with uh, a uterus on the show before we delve into the obvious topic that's like super hot right now, which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Basically, I think it warrants its own episode, is my point. I think yeah, we, should, yeah. we should probably do that in a couple of weeks. Um, barring all the side notes, yeah, we're going to talk about the Biden administration so far. But let me just ask you guys to start off. Like, do you feel like Biden has uh, restored the soul of America? Like he was Absolutely. promising? 100. 100. I feel like he did a pretty good job of it, right? Like, mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've still, you know, we have kids in cages and migrants dying in the back of trucks and war and... Christo fascism. This it's definitely the soul of America. He wasn't lying. <laughs> oh shit, yeah, dude. I mean, it's it's like having Trump, but you know, with no riots, no protests. It's like all the bad and le less things that I'm cool with. Yeah, yeah. That blue maga is crazy. What did you see that? Uh, what was it? That poll that just came out where it was like everybody was asked, like, do you think this country is on the wrong track? And like, <laughs> it was like Republicans. 84% agreed, independents 78% agreed, and then Democrats was like 48%. Like, they, think they're, they think it's fine. That's, you know, what I really don't get, and I kind of thought of this as an afterthought. I just put it in my notes on my phone. But, like, something I kind of wanted to talk about tonight is, like, the fact that Republicans are still even more angry than we are. Like, they're still angrier at Biden than we are just for all the wrong fucking reasons. Like, they literally think this guy's a socialist, and we are going to spend, like, in the next hour and a half talking about how he couldn't be more right-wing if he wanted to. Like, <laughs> it drives me crazy. The first thing I had that I just put down, is just like, I wanted to start asking briefly, like, what were everyone's expectations of a Biden presidency? Because, I mean, the first quote I put was, nothing will fundamentally change. And, you know, we talked plenty of times on the show about what Biden's presidency was going to look like. And, I mean, did you guys expect anything significant to change on any of the fronts that we we're hoping for like the, the topics I mentioned were student loan forgiveness, healthcare, environmental protection, indigenous land rights, women's rights, LGBTQ protection, <laughs> police reform, or releasing the kids from the cages. It's like, did we expect anything to happen on any of those, you guys? Well, he did raise Halliburton's profit mm -hmm. margins, so you know that that's going great. 
and Raytheon. Raytheon got it there. Yeah, no, it's it's going well for the people that matter. Dick Cheney's happy. <laughs> and alive, apparently. The guy literally has no heartbeat. I love that. I love that about him. I mean, not to sound like a hater, but I mean, I think I think it's evidence that, that we kind of got to stop listening to the white left. Because if yep. you think of Ch- you think of Chomsky, for instance, I you know I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be a Chomsky hater, right? Right? Because he's we do it all the time, buddy. Go for it. <laughs> You're in good company. Hey, right, Chomsky. What's up? What are we doing? <laughs> There's tons of positive stuff to say about Chomsky, right? But Chomsky was telling us that the reason we need to vote for Biden was that he he presented an alternative. He he he's less likely to bring us to a nuclear war. Um, less likely to you know, uh, reach us, what is that, the, the 12 o'clock hour, you know, the, where they have the, the nuclear, the nuclear yeah. likelihood of, of the end of the planet. Yeah, how's um, that going? <laughs> but what, Biden, what Biden did, which I think is most significant, is that he took Obama's war against Russia. Well, really, Obama started the war against China, right? And Obama's strategy was to weaken Russia because a, a Russia-China alliance it's too hard for the U.S. to attack at once. So, so Obama started the coup against Ukraine. And then what Trump's approach was, was to court Russia to attack China. And then Biden gets elected and Chomsky and the rest of the white left were telling us, don't worry, you know, Biden's going to make it safer for us. But instead of, of making it safer, Biden triples down on the war against China through starting World War III, essentially, through his, his war against Russia. So I, I just don't know where anybody is. We have no uh, credible left in this country. There's, there's no anti-war movement. Even in Spain, they have huge protests this past weekend saying, U.S., NATO, get the F out of Europe. You know, you don't hear anyone in this country saying that. Um, there was a bigger anti-war movement after 9-11. The whole country is kind of joined arms in this, like, very terrifying war that we're engaged in. And domestically, I think you guys hit a lot of points. It's been a complete disaster. Increased funding for the police, increased uh, deportations, the far-right anti-Black violence um, has increased, and he's done nothing to address it. And the far-right is on the march, and our side is disorganized, not organized, non-existent. And by 2024, the Republicans are going to win and never going to lose again. And that's what they're basically guaranteeing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so... You know, we either need to get organized or prepare for exile. Those seem to be the two options, and I'll, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> no, I mean, please talk as much as you like. I mean, you're the guest. We'll, we will obviously just run our mouths as much as uh, we give ourselves the opportunity to, so feel free. But absolutely, I agree with 100% of what you said. All the telltale signs are there. And I think anyone who thinks that we are being alarmist, there have been so many points over the last few decades, since I've even started paying attention to politics in my lifetime, there have been so many points where the left has been, quote unquote, alarmist about this or that policy that was slowly eroding any semblance of what could be progressive or serve working people in our politics. And at every point, the liberals just caved and let this happen. And all of that got us here. And I don't know. I mean, if you literally don't see the signs of this looking like Weimar Germany right now, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to talk to you. I don't even know how to connect with you. Like, what are you what, what are you looking at that we are not seeing? Other than some like, yeah, you're watching CNN. I get it. Watching MSNBC. Which is ironic, though, also because they are very much harping on the January 6th stuff, which is like, I don't know. You guys think Trump's going to go to jail? He's going to go to jail, right? (laughs) 
Fool me once. Can you imagine, dude? And you know what? Oh. The, the funny part is, like, he could. He could absolutely go to jail. Like, I will grant that, that they could, like, lock him up. And then he will win the election from fucking jail. He will win it from a jail cell. I think one of the, the big indicators that I've seen, you know, aside from Biden being a continuation of the aforementioned establishment and doing none of his campaign promises, just as we thought, is like, you know, even the liberals that are looking at things like Supreme Court rulings and looking at gerrymandering more seriously, or even people that are like somewhat aware of like domestic situations, it's really telling to see kind of what, what Ryan was saying, like, there was a protest in, well, not even a protest, a gathering in Manhattan where liberals in New York City, tons of them were chanting Azov, Azov, Azov. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll grant anybody that wants to naysay it, but yeah, the situation's complicated and not everyone in Ukraine's a neo-Nazi, but Azov certainly fucking is. And these are, these are liberals. These, this is the, quote, American left chanting in support of sending weapons to Eastern European Operation Gladio subspecies, you know, and that's that's particularly disturbing because, yeah, at least when we invaded Iraq, there was like a protest against it. At least when we invaded Syria, there was a protest against it. At least when we invaded Afghanistan, there was a protest against it. And now it's just like this consolidation of the neoliberal strategy of just constant warfare. And even though the Republicans, you know, seem to be a little less on the train about doing this or whatever, we can't pretend that they're any less hawkish. They're the ones that brought us to this juncture in the first place. And it's, if anything, I think Joe Biden has been a harbinger of normalization to this permanent ethno-fascism. While you were saying that, Jaron, I was imagining 2003 protests, but cheering for a militant fundamentalist Islamic group. But for some reason, you know, imagine a world where the U.S. couldn't just invade, like Bush Jr. just didn't feel the, the ability to just send troops over there directly. And so they had to, like, arm and fund some Al-Qaeda similar group, but, you know, just with a competing group. And then imagine a bunch of liberals with that flag out in the streets. Like, they absolutely would just go along with it if the public support was needed, because that's exactly what's happening here. Like, we said it before on our Ukraine episodes and when we talked about it since, but, like, liberals didn't give a fuck about Ukraine. They didn't know shit about Ukraine. The only thing they knew was a year and a half ago, two years ago, any politician with ties to Ukraine was corrupt and shouldn't even be allowed in politics. <laughs> yeah. Like that's they literally have completely flopped. Like Trump was completely corrupt just because he talked to someone in fucking Ukraine. And now all of a sudden it's the goddamn holy ground. And well, I like mean, certainly you're forgetting that Biden was also not corrupt for anything he did in Ukraine. Like, yeah, no, no, that was... <laughs> that was fine. I mean, if they, if they cared about Ukrainians, why didn't they care about Ukrainians in 2014? You know, why didn't they care about Ukrainians in 2015, 2016? Like, there was 14,000 civilians that died in eastern Ukraine that, you know, if, if you want to look at history, if you want to look at this war starting in February of 2022, then fine, you know, that's like going to the doctors with a chronic problem and the doctor doesn't take a medical history. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and I, I think what we're seeing is a crisis of white supremacy, right? So domestically, you know, it's, it's much clearer in the sense that, you know, the far right is starting, you know, it's 1776 counter-revolution part two. Replacement theory is just another version of 1776 um, where, you know, they're, they're trying to maintain 
uh, white supremacy, but Biden is doing the same thing on an international scale. They're trying to maintain U.S. hegemony, um, and China has has created a multipolar world, and the U.S. is trying to stop that. And and Biden really has taken that war on in ways that even Trump, and I'm you know I'm certainly not a Trump fan. Trump is everything negative that everyone says he is, but Trump's approach to me was less lethal, le- less World War III, less nuclear war. The the idea, and I think this lesser of two evils nonsense is a stupid rabbit hole to go go down but it, i just don't think that that claiming that trump is the lesser of two evils when you when you look at the current international situation and that we're on the precipice of nuclear war it's just not accurate at all and, and even prior to the most recent you know war against russia biden was was doing coup after coup uh, throughout western africa Sudan, Ethiopia, Haiti, Cuba. And unfortunately, on the left, we just don't have an internationalist view. So we, we don't pay attention to these issues. We don't look at how to build alliances internationally. And we're really on a ship of fools that we haven't really thought of a way either to turn the ship around or to get off the ship as quickly as possible. Because by 2024, you know, it's, it's not a safe place, particularly for non-white people in the U.S. Yeah, no, absolutely. Ryan, I think you mentioned we are like closer to World War III than we have been at probably any point in our lifetimes up to now. And liberals don't even give a fuck. Like they're literally just cheering for it, like cheering for more aggression, like cheering for like no-fly zones and all that bullshit. But it's unbelievable to me that you can't even make this criticism. You can't even say any of this stuff without getting called like a Trumper. Like you can't even tell liberals how fucking bad this was of a decision for them to vote for the lesser of two evils for harm reduction and get up to this point. Just like you said, as bad as Trump was, I don't know if it was just because he was a bumbling idiot, but he was not putting us in this fucking dangerous position that we're in now. I don't know. You're absolutely right when you also say that it's going to be a very dangerous place for like anybody who's a minority, anybody who's marginalized of any kind in the U.S. in a couple of years. And I just, I, yeah, I really just hope that people are making some preparations for that. I hope that people are organizing. I hope that they are building some groups at the community level that they can reach out to for assistance because holy fuck, no one is coming to save anyone. Like, (laughs) holy fuck, the U.S. government is not doing a fucking thing and will not. And that has been my question to liberals lately for a long time. I know I'm very repetitive on this podcast at this point, but just start asking your liberal friends, like, what is the story? Tell me the story of how the U.S. reverses the trends of the next 50 years and starts doing anything with its government that works for working people and not just the wealthy, not just businesses. We're sleepwalking into World War III. Is I mean, we by I mean the American public, the the government, Biden administration is not sleepwalking. They're they're going full speed ahead with World War III. I mean, they're literally they're trying to manufacture consent like they've never done in history. And then Zelensky was at what what award show they have this guy at with uh, with the Grammys with John Legend. I, mean, I didn't watch it, but I you know I saw it later on on social media with John Legend performing afterwards and John Legend. Is, is like a liberal, you know? So it's it's not like, you know, who are these like right-wing country music people? I don't even know, you know, not that all country music people are right-wing, but it's, you know, John Legend is, is one of these people that's been, you know, part of the Black Lives Matter movement, someone that's like against mass incarceration and all this stuff. But we're sleepwalking into World War III. Um, and, and like you said, no, there's no opposition to it. There's There's literally no opposition. And it's the settler colonialist 
the U.S. Imperial Project is in full effect, and we're on this ship of pools, and we don't have we don't have a plan. We don't we don't even have an escape plan. Like going to Canada is not going to be the answer. Canada is clearly they're definitely even though they're not the so-called revolutionary republic, and and they're better than the U.S. in terms of universal health care, and they're now about to pass universal dental care. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole other conversation, how the non-revolutionary republic is more progressive than the so-called revolutionary republic, but they, they're certainly not, I mean, they had their own right-wing movement, you know, so it's, it's bad news. It's really bad news. Yeah, I mean, Canada has their own, yeah, another thing we can talk about in a different time, but they have their own far removed that is quickly gaining power because that is what's going to happen in these countries that are already leading to the, to the right, as these Western secular colonial countries do. That's what happens when people get more marginalized, when people become proletarianized. We talk about it all the time, but they turn to the right because they don't have a materialist critique. They don't have a class consciousness for sure. I wanted to talk about, since we are talking about the Biden administration so far, and we're kind of consciously avoiding Roe versus Wade because we want to do a whole episode on it. Let's talk about some other things that are up next on the chopping block. So I have an article here from Outside I Online. Ward, Ward had something, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. I had an article up over Ward's face. Sorry, buddy. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, Bro, I, I got to put a window too. somewhere. <laughs> You can split it down the middle. I got mine split down the middle. I was covering Jaren too. If it makes you feel good. Day one stuff. We haven't been. Jeez. We've been doing this for too long, bro. Give me a break. <laughs> uh, no, I was just gonna comment like, yeah, this how insanely close we are to like World War Three, and just more specifically, just even nuclear annihilation. Like it's so fucking insanely close, and like, not only is like they're. People are not even acknowledging how imminent the nuclear threat is, but like this article is being published like, oh, the U.S. can survive nuclear war, like trying to manufacture another layer of consent that is fucking unfathomable because it literally means genociding all fucking life forms on this planet. And they're fucking cheering it on. It's disgusting. That is kind of like something that I've always found a little humorous is like billionaires going to space talking about interstellar travel the next great leap for humanity and like interstellar speciesism and all this stuff and it's like you motherfuckers really think we're that advanced like you really think that we deserve that echelon motherfucker we can't even give people a place to stay regularly like, <laughs> like the bottom of the barrel. We're still there. You, you're over here thinking about some Star Trek shit. And if I go two blocks from my house, there's a guy sleeping in a fucking tent. What the fuck are you thinking? No, Jaron, don't you understand? Like, Elon has to go in his ship first with just him and maybe a couple of his friends. Like, don't look up style. You know, one or two will get eaten. They'll be fine. It'll actually be a little more luxurious than it was in the movie, you know, because they, can't, they had to make it look nice for us plebs. But... And then once they do that enough times, then it will become cheap enough. After like a couple of generations, it'll become cheap enough that you and I can get there. Not us personally, but like our kids. Well, not your kids, but my kids. You know, I'm going full neolib now, like in case you haven't seen. Not not your kids, but their kids. Their kids, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah dude, like if we somehow survive this nuclear brinkmanship and somehow the imminent climate collapse after that and we start having a sci-fi future. Mm-hmm. On this planet, like it's two fucking options. It's either Elysium or the Expanse. Either rich people are gonna fuck off to like some floating space station right outside, so they don't have to deal with the problems on Earth while they fucking reap all the benefits, or they send all the fucking poor people into fucking space to do all the goddamn space labor for them while they fucking enjoy free air and free water on Earth. So, so the, those are two fucking options. It's barbarism or barbarism. 
No, I'm saying like if we get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. This is the worst version of Wally I've ever heard. <laughs> I did want to talk about, okay, so I had pulled up this article that I covered Ward with. Sorry, buddy. But the article that I pulled up is uh, I wanted to talk about like things that are next on the chopping block since we are getting into some lip shit and we're talking about fucking Biden, talking about like electoralism shit, but whatever. In West Virginia versus EPA, the Supreme Court will decide whether we act on climate change. The fact that that's even up for, up for debate, like whether we act, like, like, like I said, if we somehow make it past nuclear brinkmanship and then imminent climate collapse, somehow. Yeah, this came out yesterday. So the Supreme Court is expected to issue its ruling on West Virginia versus EPA this week, potentially deciding the future of the federal government's ability to limit the effects of climate change or even to address the looming climate disaster at all. Here's what you need to know. What's at stake? According to the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, it's now too late to avoid the disastrous impacts of climate change. Humanity as a whole must instead adapt to them, while simultaneously eliminating greenhouse gas emissions in the hopes that we don't make the now inevitable climate disaster even worse. West Virginia versus EPA challenges the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to regulate the carbon emissions of fossil fuel burning power plants under the Clean Air Act. In doing so, the case also threatens the federal government's ability to write and enforce any emissions-related regulations. No country has contributed as heavily to climate change as the United States. If this ruling limits federal regulation of climate change-causing emissions, it could short-circuit global attempts to limit the climate disaster and effectively condemn humanity to a bleak future on a rapidly warming planet. A lot is at stake here, to put it lightly. Where is that from? This is outside online. This is not even like a commie. This is just like a fucking outdoorsy website. Hold on. It's in the show notes somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I see it now. Um... No, I just didn't like the line where it was like, no one's contributed more to climate, like climate change and climate, like green, whatever, like than the U.S. Um, it's just not true. No, no country has contributed as heavily to climate change as the United States. In a negative way. But, oh, in a negative way. Oh, shit. Okay. I thought it was like in a pot. They meant that no, in no, a no, positive no, no, way. No. I was like, dude, fucking China. No, they had, right a, they had a correct state. Would you have okay. to? I interpreted it wrong. Sorry. I just, I just want to relate this back to Joe fucking Biden. Uh, in April, he decided to renew the ability to sell leases for oil and gas drilling on public lands. So in conjunction with the Supreme Court's decision, that would just be completely open season, especially for federal lands, which would be the West in particular, the Western United States, which is already suffering from extreme drought and fires all the fucking time. And then, you know, AOC gets up and she's like, oh, well, can we at least open some, you know, women's clinics on that land too, where you're, you know, going to kill us all with the environment and he's like no absolutely not no, no <laughs> clinics but uh yes drills definitely drills oh, absolutely um but no no health care with the drills and then she'll be like what if like the drills are in the healthcare? <laughs> yeah dual i'll vote for that clinic <laughs> yeah we somehow wrap like iron dome clinics and drilling into one i'll vote for that and maybe cry afterwards yeah. We have uh, company towns with Amazon warehouses and then the boring company facility right next to it that also contains the healthcare somewhere in between them. Right. It's in the skywalk across the two factories. Um, so getting back to the article, they said a lot is at stake here, to put it lightly. <laughs> they say, what's being argued? Sorry, Jaron, what did you say? Yeah, I missed it. Oh, Nick, just keep going. Okay. <laughs> so they say, what's being argued? The big question here is who has the authority to write regulations around power plant emissions? federal agencies or Congress itself. The lawsuit's a little complicated. With the passage of the Clean Air Act in 1970, Congress delegated authority to write and enforce air pollution rules to the EPA, which is part of the executive branch. It's the EPA's job to employ experts and coordinate rulemaking. This is getting really boring. Hold on, let me see if you can get a little juicier here. 
I thought the oil companies got to decide our environmental. Problems. I mean, so like I said, it is <laughs> an outdoors. It's like an outdoor enthusiast website. They're not Marxist. They don't have a class analysis. It seemed like, but I like how you found of all like articles, <laughs> one from like an outdoor website. Because I want to, I want to at least appear unbiased. Like that's kind of what I do a lot here. Word is like, no, I appreciate like, it. No, no, no. Wikipedia just... articles and like you can find like Marxist truths in literally anything if you have the immortal science on your side. That's really. Like it's, it's just funny to me that like of all of the places, like this is an outdoors like enthusiast website. <laughs> they care about this stuff. Yeah, they do. Appreciate it. So in 2015, the Obama administration issued the Clean Power Plan, which was an attempt to bring U.S. power plants in compliance with goals outlined by the Paris Agreement by reducing their carbon emissions over time. The lawsuit in question argues that the rule should be invalidated because the CAA makes no mention of carbon emissions, and the plaintiffs say that it should be up to Congress, not the EPA, to write new rules that regulate those carbon emissions. That's a little odd because the Clean Power Plan never went into effect, and it was repealed by the Trump administration and replaced by the Affordable Clean Power Rule in 2019. Last year, the District of Columbia Circuit Court invalidated that rule, and the Biden administration has yet to write a new one. It's waiting to hear the outcome of this case first. So the plaintiffs are suing over a seven-year-old rule that never took effect and is no longer on the books. Does that sound like Republicans to you guys? Does it sound like, I don't know, something they might do? I kind of want to take this opportunity because that is the larger point that I also wanted to mention, like just as a topic of discussion. What do you think a Trump-like Biden would be doing right now, based with like something as radical and as like, monumental is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's like everybody always says like Democrats need somebody like a Trump who will just like break down barriers, like literally break rules to get their agenda done. It's like, can you even imagine a world in which like a Biden would do something like an executive order to like protect Roe v. Wade federally or something like that? Like, can you even imagine? Over, no, like, no. You can't even imagine where president. the Democrats serve the class interests of the people they claim to represent. You can't even imagine it. Like even you cannot fucking imagine it. Yeah, no, not when he was a vice president to the, like, they go low, we go high admin, you know what I mean? Like, never fucking happening. I mean, they would probably focus on environmental benefits for Ukraine. I mean, really, that's <laughs> built back better, you know, didn't work for the U.S., so it's built back Ukraine better. I mean, oh, right. man, yeah. <laughs> remember the articles about, like, more environmentally friendly bombs? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's what it'd be for Ukraine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the I'm not going to go full conspiracy mode and say like it was all planned because I, I don't I don't think it's all planned. I think this is just the natural inertia of such a shitty system. But the fact that Trump was so boorish and was such a negative presence to have in charge of the United States, that it sort of renewed liberal complacency with liberal policy to the point that it can become more extreme to the point that it can become more detrimental and people just won't do anything. I mean, if Roe had been overturned or if we were looking at, you know, gay rights or the environment or anything like that under Donald Trump, you know, people would be out there body slamming cops, which I'm in favor of. But instead, you know, we do see the sporadic protests, but we don't see anything like what we saw for BLM. Um, not to depreciate from that movement in that period of time, because everything deserves its own placeholder. But, you know, it's like there was this collective sigh of relief from white, quote, progressive America, just like everyone on the left was thinking there would be. And as a result, people just aren't doing anything. And the Democrats know that they don't have to do anything because there always, there's always that looming boogeyman, Donald Trump or somebody like Donald Trump or, you know, let's keep Lauren Boebert in Congress so that she can talk about getting rid of the barriers between church of state. They, 
want to keep these horrible people in the periphery. They are part of the gambit. You know, they want Madison Cawthorns. They want Boberts. They want Marjorie Taylor Greens. They want awful people to say awful things so that we can drag them on Twitter and feel good about ourselves because that's the bastion for Democrats to be worse. Yeah. You know, the goal isn't, I don't think, to have necessarily Republicans in control permanently, but that might happen. But I do think that the goal from the Democrat perspective is what we've all suspected so far is, you know, they, they want fundraising. They want to be the preferential alternative, even if they're about to start World War fucking three and burn the planet alive. And it's right, working. I mean, you're hitting on so many things that I have here towards the end of the notes. But like, I, I know I saw an article and I just couldn't find it again in time for recording this tonight, but I will try to find it again. And again, not even to sound conspiratorial minded, but it's like we do have proof like this article. I, I will put in the show notes because I do have. But we have proof that from WikiLeaks, oddly enough, it's emails that were leaked from Hillary talking to the DNC in 2016 that they wanted Trump to be the nominee because they thought he would be the easy candidate to beat. They had this strategy of promoting the furthest right, wackiest, most literal fascist candidate that they could to run against because they thought that that would make it easy because they are so out of touch with their electorate and the electorate of the opposite party that they didn't realize that he would actually be popular enough to win. And they just don't understand the actual state of this country. This is the article that I couldn't find, but they are making that same gamble again. And I'm not saying it as like a, a national party wide, but there, were, there was evidence that people in the Democratic Party at some level of elections, whether it's state, local, whatever, want the furthest right, QAnon loving, <laughs> crazy Christo fascists to become the nominees because they think that it will be, it will make it easier for them to win. And also, they, I think they still instinctively understand that even if they lose, that will give them much more opportunity for fundraising because it makes everybody so rightfully amped up, like rightfully interested in politics as they, as they should be. You also mentioned the political energy is just not here because Biden is in office. Like for anything that will, would have been absolutely riot inducing. And I wrote it here in the notes. I said, another topic for discussion that we talk about is what do you think of the difference between what liberals say they're going to do when the rulings drop versus what they actually do? Everyone here remembers the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, I'm sure, when liberals absolutely said that they were going to riot if she was confirmed and then didn't. And then there was like the soft opening of the Roe versus Wade verdict last month. There was a few protests, but nothing major. And now still nothing drastic because they, they had the forethought to just like give us the, the teaser and then actually drop the, the real release. And it's like my theory is that liberals can only trail what marginalized people naturally do. And like marginalized people end up naturally doing Marxist shit. Like Black Lives Matter protested in unprecedented numbers and liberals and then opportunists of all types followed closely behind, you know, there were right-wing opportunists, there were the fucking undercover cops, there were all kinds of fucking morons going out there just to get their shit on the internet, fucking record the protests and like get a meme-worthy video of, of themselves like at a protest or whatever. But it's like, yeah, I mean, I took this quote and I wanted to just read this thing. It's from Lenin on Taylorism. It was in an article on the Socialist Voice. I'll put it in the show notes, of course. And they say, the tendency of Taylorism can be observed in the dismissive and confrontational attitudes some on the left take to matters of social importance women's struggles, LGBT plus issues, racism, etc., that are adjacent to class struggle. We have surely all heard it said countless times that certain issues are, quote, a distraction from class struggle or, quote, not of any concern to the working class. It surely does not need pointing out that the working class comprises people of all gender, backgrounds, sexual orientations, races, and ethnicities. And these struggles are of direct and immediate concern to them in their lives. In fact, these struggles are inextricably linked to class struggle and should always be regarded as such. 
and you know, cue any number of times that Biden has dismissed struggles for marginalized people so that he can backslap his segregationist friends, or Hillary, you know, recently there's another headline, recently dismissing trans rights because they quote distract from the fight against the crazy fascists, from the crazy Republicans. And it's like, how do you not understand that that is the fucking fight? Like they're del- it's deliberately not understanding. Yeah, man. If I can add to that, I mean, I think I think back, you know, in the in the sixties and the seventies, COINTELPRO, what they did was they would assassinate and lock up members of the movement and and then essentially kill the consciousness. What we see today is that the COINTELPRO 2.0, whatever you want to call it, they fund the movement, you know, directly and indirectly. So so now we we had this huge, I think Jerome was talking about this huge Black Lives Matter movement with calls for defund the police, calls for uh, abolition, calls for really a radical change um, that got co-opted by entire missed leadership class that called for get out the vote for Biden. And so that's something else that we really need to be worried about. You know, we, we, the, the post-George Floyd murder movement was one of the biggest grassroots movements we've seen in the history of this country. And it got co-opted quite easily. And there was no assassination of leadership there was no locking up, or there was some locking up, but there was very little kind of locking up the leaders. Um, but it was just simple co-opting, just paying, because we had this like nonprofit careerist approach to the left, to movement building today, that is easily co-opted by the Democratic Party and whoever else you want to talk about on the left. And just like we can like criticize NGOs internationally, at, um, the same the same applies for nonprofits locally, and and the same applies for for this misleadership class that we see today. They can quickly take any sort of grassroots movement that we build and derail it to support this nonsense that we're seeing. And and that's essentially what we're seeing in this these Roe v. Wade protests is that we need to vote like I think you guys were talking about off the record joking around. We need to vote harder, right? We need to vote yeah, more. Yeah. Let's show up and put our stickers on after we vote. Like, where has that gotten us? Like, I don't understand. And I, I don't want to blame that. You can't, if we, if we sit here and blame the Democratic Party for everything, that doesn't get us anywhere. Like, like, like we've been talking about, the problem is the far right. How do we stop the far right? You know, and, and the answer is not the Democratic Party. And the answer certainly isn't voting harder. Um, that, is, that is not getting us anywhere. And, and how do we address this co-opting of the movement? And, that, yeah. and we don't have an answer for that. No, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think about it all the time. It's like the Democrat. And I think, so this is a realization that I have been happy to see, especially in the last few days since we're overturning. I've been really happy to see even some like liberal takes saying that like the Democrat Party is standing in the way. They are literally preventing any real progress from being made because they, I think people are starting to like get that like the Democrat Party exists to co opt any real leftward change and like real grassroots energy. And, and it sucks. Like that's what they're there for. And I just hope that more people turn that realization into actual organization and then not fucking voting. I, I will like, there's a lot of podcasts and stuff and other people, media people that I listen to who are like hesitant to say, don't vote. Then I'll fucking say, don't vote. Like stop fucking voting. Like that's the least you could do is just not fucking vote out of protest because they need to see that. Like they can't just count on your fucking vote every time just because there's somebody shittier than them. It's terrible. What'd you got, Jaron? Sorry. No, not at all. Um, I mean, I think that the kind of, unknown unknown is it does rest in material analysis and i think a lot of things in this country are going to change in the next couple of years if only because like look the timing of this isn't coincidental the timing of trump the timing of gerrymandering the republics and installing people who are not supposed to be there by the popular vote the 
the takeover of the Supreme Court, the timing of this is not coincidental. And it has nothing to do with climate change. It has nothing to do with World War III. It has to do with baby boomers. It has to do with the fact that they are going to die soon and they constitute the majority of the more or less original right. You know, we have these splinter cell alt-right people who are younger, you know, between the ages of 20 and 40, but the vast majority of the Republican voter base is old people and they're going away soon. They know they haven't won a popular vote in 30 years. They know that they will never win one again legitimately. So they're trying to put things into motion now to make sure that they don't have to win legitimately. They know that there's a timer. They lost the culture war. The culture war is over. The majority of Americans, the vast majority of them, don't have a problem with gay people. Very few have a problem with trans people. They don't have a problem with Jews or black people. The cultural minority is trying to vie for control. And I know that that seems a bit depreciative of how dangerous it is. It's not. It's extremely dangerous, and there's still a lot of them. But at the same time, to me, I'm curious what's going to happen when we do have millennials as the older generation and Gen X is, you know, boomer age. And then we have uh, Gen Z. And all of these people are not going to be able to afford rent. They're not going to be able to afford vehicles. They're not going to be able to afford transportation or food. The sheer material analysis of what's going to happen in their lives after these boomers are gone, I have no idea what sort of movement that could spur. But I will say if there's a motivator that is better than, well, not better, it's a bad word to use, but a motivator that is more effective than being marginalized, it would be you can't live. And that's going to happen if we make it that far. That's why these gears are moving and why these things are being put in place is the, the old guard generation that had these conservative policies. I mean, fuck's sake, Christianity has declined from 75% of the U.S. to 63% of the U.S. in just 10 years. That speaks volumes. Like the culture war is losing for them. That's why they're vying for power on the front end. So I do kind of wonder if like, you know, Biden's liberal America, I think we can all agree it's seated kind of in the lap of luxury. People don't feel the need to revolt because, yeah, they can go out to brunch. What's going to happen when they can't is more my question. I mean, that's kind of the hope, right, is that they they turn into radical leftists and they they resist it rather than siding with the fascists because, you know, I guess the looking at it materially, you would think that as people become more proletarianized, they turn for the right and they become fascists because they want to justify their position of privilege and they want to justify why more and more people are, uh, and of different types are now getting locked in the camps and were locked in the prisons being used for their slave labor or whatever. Yeah, and I think that that is another, it's probably a possibility, but I don't know. Do, do more people become radicalized because they find themselves getting pushed more towards the camps. It's like, yeah, I think you're right that Jaron, most people don't care about gay people in the way that like the right does, but do they care enough to go out and fight when those gay people are getting put in the camps by the right? Or are they still going to continue going to brunch up until they are getting put in the camps themselves? You know? True. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna be out to, they're going to be out to brunch as long as they can keep being placated and insulated enough from the actual like struggle. And this is like, what we tell people is get organized because I don't know about you, but I don't want to hedge my bets that by the time the insulation wears down to them and that they're getting proletized, it's okay for minorities like myself. That's, that's the thing. That part's been long gone. 
if I'm waiting on like middle, like quote unquote middle class, like white people to start feeling the burn. Like it's been long gone for me. I mean, I think people don't realize that the other part of that metaphor is like the liberals going to brunch by that point. They're not even going to brunch. Like brunch has gone from avocado toast with friends to a vending machine, a single serve piece of avocado toast. And you're socially distanced because now we're in the fourth phase of the eighth pandemic. It's like people are not realizing how bad even the the position of privilege is going to get. You it's know avocado I mean? like flavored spread on toast. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's already breakfast is weed and an energy drink. So. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Mine's coffee and a goodies powder. <laughs> we're both living in the future. No, I, I think Outdoor Brunch is, is like the perfect analogy for the left in the U.S. I, mean, I think that and. and I think we should be, minority rule is not unheard of. Like minority rule happens in many countries. And, and I think Jerron hit the nail and, and the rest of y'all hit the nail on the head in the sense that what we're seeing domestically in this, you know, the far right movement is that they feel like they're, they're being taken over, you know, by the rest of the country, by, by particularly non-white people, by immigrants, et cetera. And, and they are statistically outnumbered, but that's the same thing we're seeing Biden do on an international scale. You know, the, U.S. has lost its hegemony, and they're trying to manufacture consent domestically and internationally. They want us to think the world is united with them and against Russia, which is absolutely not the case. The white world is. But if you look at the global south, they've not signed on to this war. Um, they've not signed on to the sanctioned regime. Other than South Korea and Japan and the other kind of settler colonialist countries, no one is no one has signed on to this war, and they're they're creating, you know, BRICS is about to expand. Saudi Arabia won't even take the U.S.'s calls, and 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 we're really sanctioning oh, wow. ourselves. You know that Biden is sanctioning us, um, and and we just haven't picked up on that. You know he's he's fast forwarding the demise of the U.S. with this hail mary attempt to to stop multipolar a multipolar world, which is not going to work. He's accelerating the demise of the U.S. dollar. He's accelerating the overall demise of the U.S. And we're on this ship of fools. And, and like, wh where do we go? That's the question. Uh, wh where do we go? Yeah, Sterling, you had something? Yeah, so we've got about five and a half minutes before this one ends. Do you want to refresh before we jump into? Uh, no, let's do, we'll do five more minutes and then I'll do it again. It was a pain to do right. it again. <laughs> so my first thing is I think we're giving liberals and conservatives, but mainly liberals, a lot more credit than they deserve, assuming that they have the – side of the knowledge to even come to a lot of these opinions and also you know Chomsky's quote manufacturing consent that phrase I like that phrase but I, I don't think it's nearly as on the nose as Parenti's inventing reality and I think those are two very different phrases and I don't think we're manufacturing consent I think that happened ages ago <laughs> there's no more consent we they have recreated and reinvented reality Parenti has it right they are living in an entirely different world. They don't understand. They don't even know what the left is. They don't know the left exists. The American left literally thinks, and I mean truly to their core, that they are left-wing patriotic heroes fighting for causes, for women's rights, for minorities, for all of these incredible causes. Like they are vindicated in their soul in, in this struggle, and they truly believe they are in a struggle and that the enemy is the conservatives and the Republicans. And that is like corporate media has totally taken this country and convinced the liberals the enemies are the conservatives that live down your street and get mail right beside you 
and go to fucking Kroger and Publix with you and their kids go to your school. Like these people who are basically you and live the same exact lives, only they've picked a slightly different cast of reality TV stars to hang up on their fucking Facebook page. Those are your enemies. And same thing, vice versa for the conservatives. And they're completely alienated to the idea that there are different players in force, that there may even perhaps be some controlling factors of people who have a power that supersedes even the government. The idea of a ruling class is truly, I mean, it's not even hypothetical or, or theoretical. It's just, it's conspiracy to them. And, and that's the problem is we're, we're dealing with the majority of America who truly does not even understand what was it, David Icke? And, and again, I hate to quote David Aww. Icke besides the oh, fact no. that I love, I love his crazy ass. But he, what was his quote? It's the distance between what is happening and what we think is happening is immeasurable. And, and that's really what it is. They truly don't have the slightest idea. So, yes, when Roe v. Wade overturns, I know we're not trying to dip into that, it's really easy to say, Biden has the most progressive cabinet, and if anyone can fix that, it's him. He he had nothing to do with it. Let's ignore his uh, quote back when Obama was running where he says he doesn't believe abortion is a constitutional right. Let's throw that out. Let's throw out him on a break. Not even like his cabinet being the most progressive. They fucking published so many articles saying he's the most progressive president since FDR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's let's even though that fucking Nixon was the one that put in fucking price caps on gas. <laughs> like, that'd be nice right now. What are we doing? What are we doing? Reagan did an assault rifle ban. Yeah, I mean, like the the idea that he's the most progressive is crazy. Also, I thought it was really interesting that we all of a sudden uh, overturn Roe v. Wade and the liberals and conservatives come to a, a gun ban together. You know, within a twenty four hour span of time. Wait, was like, there a gun ban recently that I didn't hear of? Well, they, they've agreed to a piece of legislature. I haven't really read it. it. It's still awaiting to be signed off by Biden, but it's a bipartisan gun control legislature. I don't know the exact details. But while we glossed over it, I mean, like, we seriously can't downplay how fucking seriously close we are to nuclear annihilation. Yeah, like, I mean, it's fucking, I'll be fucking real honest about my anxieties on this shit. Um, like, it's pretty much if one rocket gets launched, we're all fucking done. Yeah, right, dude. Because no, because first off, they're not gonna. No one's gonna launch one. They're gonna launch all of them, and everyone's gonna do that. There's like fifteen thousand nuclear weapons currently out in the world. The U.S. has 70, 80, 90 percent of them, something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, even ten percent of that amount of nukes is enough to destroy all life on planet Earth. They're going to launch way more than 10%. Of course. Um, and what is it? The most projections, the disastrous effects of just 100 nuclear bombs going off on this planet would result in um, two to three billion deaths due to nuclear winter. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty bleak. Like, just rising tensions on their own. The fact that we're getting close to actively, you know, engaging in nuclear warfare. On top of that, it's like, we had so many incidents during the Cold War 
where mistakes were being made that almost led us to nuclear war. Yeah. And rising tensions leads to mistakes like that. And it's not impossible for that shit to happen. Like it's well known that Russia's like missile detection system is very faulty. It's very old. Like they've had multiple incidents where they're like, oh shit, we detect launches. Mm. And like one dude was like, ignore it. Yeah. No, I remember that specific instance. I um it really is just like we're in Doctor Strange love and people people just have like no I, fucking clue. Like Honestly, like I felt a little lib in me, but I was like, dude, somebody needs to make another Doctor Strange Love Doctor Strange Love movie. I mean, I love that movie. It's a great movie. I would rewatch it like once. I mean, that's kind of like don't five look weeks. Up was, right? <laughs> don't look all up I'm, was Doctor Strange Love, just not as good. All yeah. I'm saying is the the Death Eaters are the Ministry of Magic. I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> Nowhere good. <laughs> but. Yeah, we're just so fucking close. And I guess like, people, people imagine are, are ignoring it. People imagine fine. that there would be like a scenario in which like it's like a Hiroshima and Nagasaki where like one or two get dropped and no. it's like and like dude, when it's Tetlin like with the new test of China's hypersonic intercontinental ballistic missiles, our defense systems aren't stopping those. Same with the um the Russia's new um uh, ICBM, the uh, Satan two. Not stopping that. Satan two. Pretty sick name, though. Right? <laughs> right? So badass. <laughs> the Satan, Satan, the two. Satan, the Satan <laughs> 2. And it's actually fucking real sick. Like, oh. pretty crazy technology. And I was explaining to Blaine the other day, total departure from Biden, but uh, about this leak that the Soviets had in Kazakhstan, and their solution was to, this, like, gas leak in Kazakhstan, and their solution was to bomb it, because that's just the universal solution, I guess. Uh, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked. No, I'm just oh, okay. Never mind. You know these like Soviet officers just being like, you know, there's ghastly cool bomb it. Oh yeah, no, like um, what is it? Um, invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. So, um, when retreating forces were setting fires to the oil fields. Yeah, and like the oil, like oil drills. Like the only way to put that fucking thing out is to just bomb it or pack it full of fucking explosives and hope you just fucking blow the fire out with yeah. an explosion. Like, there's not really much you can do, so, like, bombing it actually makes sense. It sounds crazy, like, to somebody who, like, would be like, wait, go bomb a fucking... It's like, no, I remember hearing that. surprised. I didn't know yeah. it was for gas explosions, too. That's funny that you mentioned yeah. that, Jaren, because when you said it at first, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a normal day in Russia, and then... <laughs> actually... I mean, that's, like, right up there with, like, when they, like, trying to take samples from the elephant's foot at Chernobyl, and, yeah. like, they couldn't get anything anywhere with, like, diamond-tipped drills and, like, uh, like high tensile strength drills, they couldn't get anything. They couldn't even make a scratch, and so they're just like, "Fuck it, let's shoot it with an AK." And they're able to like get a chip of it off, and they're like, "Hey, we got a sample." Oh no! And yeah, every scientific process. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, drill not work. Uh, yeah, rifle is fine. Hand me, hand me saw, comrade. <laughs> Somebody definitely got a tumor from that. Oh my god, dude. Um, if anyone expected us, you know, seeing the title of the, the show, if anyone expected like an in-depth analysis into all of the Biden administration policy failures, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what show you're fucking thinking you're listening to. Like, we're just going to be a general shitposting talk about fucking why Biden sucks so much and we fucking told you so, right? Like, that is like the overarching message of tonight is like, all us fucking tankies, like, we told you, we were right again, as always, like, we all told you Biden was going to suck just as bad as Trump, and you weren't going to care. And look where we're at. Yeah. Tankies and the burden of being right all the time. 
What's you guys doing? Roe v. Wade just got overturned, and you're having to defend your president that it happened underneath. Wouldn't you like to not fucking do that? Yeah. Let me show you our tanks. <laughs> I um, you know what? I know we we're avoiding the topic, but I did put in the notes. I put this Caitlin Johnson article, and it should be pretty quick, actually. I mean, she just has this recent one. It's ten thoughts on abortion. And Caitlin Johnson, I mean, she's just such a snappy writer, and I just love her writing. So I'm going to read some of it, and we can just uh, we can have some. I don't know. It's not lighthearted. I'm not going to say that, but it's fun. It sure is mighty convenient timing for all political and electoral energy in the United States to suddenly get sucked up into a single issue which affects the powerful in no way, shape, or form. I wouldn't have thought it would be possible for everyone's attention to get diverted away from inflation and the looming likelihood of wage reductions and soaring unemployment or the economic war with Russia that's making everything worse for everyone while pouring vast fortunes into the proxy war in Ukraine, but by golly, the empire found a way. Two, easy access to safe abortions helps prevent women from being trapped in abusive relationships. Because childbirth is a great way to keep a woman tied to you and submissive to you. Financial abuse plays a role in virtually all abusive relationships. And if a woman has been made dependent upon an abusive partner to feed her children, she's far more likely to submit to his demands and far less likely to try to leave for fear of being unable to provide for them. Most women who've escaped from long-term abusive relationship with a man can tell you about the horror of a missed period and how much more terrifying that experience would have been if they hadn't known that abortion is an option. Being forced to birth an abuser's child often means being forced into enslavement to him. The way to prevent this from happening is to ensure women easy access to safe abortions if they want them, and ideally to guarantee mothers' financial support so they aren't dependent on the charitable inclinations of some man who may or may not be a good person. Three, for me, the issue of abortion comes down to bodily sovereignty, not only in that the state has no business forcing un unevidenced beliefs about metaphysical personhood upon people's reproductive systems, but also in that it's immoral to force anyone to let their body be used by anybody else. Leaving aside philosophical debates about whether a fetus is a person and all the faith-based mental contortions you need to pull off to make a small cluster of cells seem the same as you or me, bodily sovereignty means abortion should be, should be a right even if we concede that the fetus is a person. No person of any age, whether six weeks in utero or 60 years out utero, has a right to use my body without my permission. If I needed to be hooked up to your kidneys for my survival, the fact that I would die without the use of your kidneys wouldn't legitimize the state forcing you to let me use them against your will. In exactly the same way, it's illegitimate for the state to force a woman to let a fetus use her body to gestate just because it can't live outside her. Even if we grant both the woman and the fetus full bodily autonomy, a woman refusing to let a fetus use her body is not a violation of the fetus's bodily autonomy because the woman isn't at fault for the fetus's inability to survive outside the womb any more than you'd be at fault for my inability to survive without the use of your kidneys. That's a great way to put it. I mean, this is why I fucking love Caitlin Johnson. She's so great. Like, I wouldn't have like thought to formulate that argument, but that is the libertarian coherent position against outlawing, like literally for abortion. <clears throat> Some may argue, well, the woman had sex. Therefore, it's her moral responsibility to carry the life to term. This is wrong. And it says a lot about how entitled people feel to the use of women's bodies. A woman gets to have sex with whoever she wants, whenever she wants, however she wants. That's how bodily autonomy works. If she gets pregnant and the fetus gets to live 10 weeks as a result of that before she evicts it from her person, then that's 10 more weeks of life than it otherwise would have gotten. You're welcome, fetus. Now time's up. Out you go. <laughs> oh, I love her. Oosh. Four, while we're on the subject of bodily sovereignty, I've seen a lot of people arguing that the whole quote, my body, my choice position was invalidated by the way people were forced to take COVID vaccines in order to participate in society. This is an entirely logical argument, in my opinion. It's not logically consistent to say that bodily autonomy needs to take a backseat in one area and then claim it's of utmost importance in another. Opponents of vaccine mandates are responsible for the fact that this argument is being used. 
and that it is being used effectively. It's very disconcerting that the law has come down on the side of subverting bodily autonomy in both of these major debates recently. As humanity gets more and more complicated, we may see the dominance of the notion that our bodies are not our own yield greater and greater consequences going forward. Did you guys see that thing I posted earlier? It was uh, a headline saying that like some kind of Japanese company has found a way for people who are paralyzed to control oh, um, yeah, I saw that. robots that wait tables so that they can be employed even if they're like completely paralyzed. I love Yay. it. Isn't that super inclusive and great? <laughs> Yay. Even I love it. I love an handicap can be slaves too. I love an inclusive economy. Mm-hmm. Like revolution would just be absurd. Come on, look at this thing, guys. Look at what we got. It's so beautiful. That's that's. Uh, <laughs> oh I knew I knew I was gonna get that reaction from Darren. I was hoping for it. Sorry, buddy. You know, I saw, uh, um, I saw someone post and say the argument for abortion not being ethical is really interesting when you consider that uh, after someone has died, they now have more bodily autonomy than women do, because even if they have organs that they obviously can't use anymore, they're dead, they could save the life of another person laying on a stretcher in a hospital bed. You can't force that dead body to give up a life-saving organ. Yeah. No, actually, you know what? That's another way of making that same uh, argument that Caitlin Johnson just made with the bodily autonomy thing and not being entitled to use anyone's body to sustain a fetus. Like, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm I'm just going to say this much about it is like, if we only go by like, okay, rights don't exist unless they are specifically said in the Constitution, then nobody has any fucking rights. (laughs) Like the social contract doesn't exist at that point. If we're just going by what was in the constitution, motherfucker, the constitution had to be amended halfway through its life to say we shouldn't own people. Like the bar is low with that document. It's very low. And having like the highest court in the land be the arbiters of that, like the, the whole fucking thing is a joke. It's a fucking joke. And, you know, it's, it's why when I see somebody with we the people on the back of their fucking F-150 and the truck nuts, I'm just like, well, you're clearly an idiot. You're clearly <laughs> an idiot. Like, it is a trash document enforced by trash people, and that's what everyone needs to realize. Like, it is not designed to protect anyone. It never was at any point. We've got to do an episode on the Founding Fathers, especially as it relates to their views on democracy. Yeah, look, look, if I can, and Ward, I'm not going to steamroll here. I just want to say one thing is that there is a metaphor in the Founding Fathers for the Constitution, and that's that George Washington didn't have wooden teeth. He had slave teeth. That's the metaphor. As the uh, tankiest member of the podcast and champion, oh, anarchist, I have to disagree. Uh, I like truck nuts i think they're absolutely <laughs> hysterical and funny as shit i'll shit on we the people stickers all day long but i love truck nuts well, buddy you're in, you're in the right state now uh, unfortunately. when do we get but when do we get truck dick yes when do we get truck vulvas <laughs> that would be sweet um, so we should 3d print those i wanted to start wrapping it up i did want to uh there was another point that i wanted to make that Somebody reminded me of, oddly enough, it's like an old Bill Hicks bit. He was like wrapping up one of his great stand-up sessions. Bill Hicks was another guy who was really bright, but because he was living in the 90s, in like the peak of the, just after the end of history, but because he didn't have any kind of class analysis, he still lightly touched on some class analysis points. And I remember him just saying that 
we could all have the better world that you're wishing for tomorrow. All the things that you think are unrealistic or just that we can't do, you could have it tomorrow. It's a decision. It is literally a decision. And you just have to have the fucking cojones to decide. And that's what I think is so frustrating in what we, these moments where we say, I told you so to liberals. Yeah, we've been trying to tell you that you just have to see it differently. You just have to stop being such fucking smug assholes, satisfied with your position in the way that things work, because you have to realize that it's not going to work out so well for you. That is like the essence of liberalism. I'm in a position of privilege, and I can't imagine that ever changing. So even though every scientist in the world says that I'm going to be burning in about five or 10 years, I literally cannot internalize that. So I'm not going to mobilize in any way whatsoever to prevent that future from happening, even though we are dead set on that train track. But Ryan, I want to hand it off to you. I want to hear any final thoughts you may have, hopefully on the actual topic that we intended to cover, which was Biden administration so far. But tell us anything you might want to say, please. Well, on the Roe v. Wade topic, or kind of more accurately, um, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, there's a great article that came out today in Black Agenda Report by Margaret Kimberly. It's, I think it's called um, Democrats Exposed by the End of Roe v. Wade, wherein Margaret Kimberly outlines how in 2008, in the lead up, in one of Obama's campaign promises was to put forward and pass the Freedom of Choice Act. Um, and it, it, you know, she outlined the fact that the Democrats had both the House and the Senate and they had a veto-proof Senate. You know, so the opportunity was there. And that by 2009, Obama said on the record that the Freedom of Choice Act isn't a priority of his. So what that comes to, to show is not only wasn't it as a priority, it was just nothing that he ever, never ended up putting forward, never even put it um, on the table. So there, I think this is like a constant discussion we've had all you know, this entire evening is that Time and time again, the Dems have, have failed to fulfill any of their promises. I mean, Biden ran on this concept that he was going to be totally different than, than Trump, but we have exactly more of the same, both domestically and internationally. I think there's a very strong argument that it's worse. You know, we're in a much more perilous situation than we were in the past. I'm going to let you continue, Ryan. I just want to interject real quick. I did put in the show notes a couple different articles that went over specific numbers, like with graphs and figures and everything, about numbers of people deported, numbers of people put into ICE camps and everything under Trump versus now under Biden. And I purposely didn't read any of them because I don't give a fuck. I don't care what the numbers are. I don't care if it's slightly more. I don't care if it's slightly less. The kids are still in the fucking cages. That was literally what you said was not going to happen anymore. I don't care if it's just one. You said you were going to get them out and you're not doing fucking shit, you piece of shit. Go ahead, Ryan. Continue. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I think the kids in cages is, is an important topic. I mean, not, not just because of the plus 50 people that we saw that died yesterday outside of San Antonio, but the, and, and of course the Haitians and other African migrants that were treated uh, like it was 1776 yeah, in, in, in Del Rio, Texas. But the fact that the Ukrainians are getting to jump the line, which just goes to show you the, like the magnitude of racism that exists in this country. And it's not just the government, but you have Airbnb offering to house Ukrainian ref, so-called refugees and, and all these other like corporations offering to house them, but none of this exists. None of this is being offered to the non-white migrants. And, and, this, and again, it goes to our misleadership discussion in the sense that even the, the Congressional Black Caucus has threatened to sanction. Gregory Meeks proposed a bill to sanction African countries that didn't join Biden's sanction regime against Russia. This goes to show you how far out of the box the Democrats are. And it's not just, you know, one, one specter of the Democrats. It's the entire project 
it highlights the importance for your, your guys' show and why we need more of these conversations, why we need to organize. And I really applaud you guys for doing this and talking about this and raising these issues and hopefully building the consciousness that has been intentionally killed by the government in what's really COINTEL Pro like 2.0 or whatever iteration you want to want to refer to it as. Yeah, and uh, to bring the point like about kids still being in cages and like just how ridiculous our immigration policy is and like tying it in with the um, the EPA hearing that's going to be coming up it's like with the IPCC's report, it's like something like 60 to 600 million people will be climate refugees at 1.5 degrees of warming, which we're going to fucking hit. It's inevitable. And so disallowing the EPA to have more climate control is just speeding up that. And with even harsh, like with our harsh immigration policies, we're just going to be affecting even more families and more kids are going to be put in cages. That's the reality. I mean, my final thought is like, I mentioned earlier how in December 2020, when we recorded and we were trying to predict <laughs> what a Biden administration was going to look like, and I was saying how Biden was going to start another war and liberals wouldn't care. I actually, it's, it, yeah, it's actually worse than even I thought, because I didn't think that Biden was going to start a war that was going to be on the level of bringing us to the brink of World War III, and the liberals would actively cheer it on, like, <laughs> and cheer on Nazis. Like, even I didn't think that, dude, like, I thought, you know me, I pride myself <laughs> on being, you're the most tanky, I'm the most cynical. <laughs> I am beyond jaded. Like no one is more jaded than me, right? Yeah. I didn't even think it was gonna get. I, I didn't even think it was gonna be this bad. <laughs> bad dude. Bad news bears. I cannot believe you're eating another fucking cheeseburger. What are you doing? <laughs> it's such a bad mistake. Like I'm <laughs> the hell out of this. Speaking of bad mistakes, before we end the night, I do feel like I should inform the listeners of some of my field research with liberals on the Ukraine subject. Mm. This that I experienced one. earlier today. Um, you know, a good story always starts with, I started the debate with a liberal on Facebook. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're about to have some genuine uh, good experiences, valuable time. Object was a, Randomly, someone posted something about Roe v. Wade and was linking the article, an article showing that Biden made the quote that he did not believe abortion was a constitutional right. I think it was during the uh, running for Obama's first term, somewhere around that that era. And one of the little Biden supporters, she jumped on. She was, I don't know, probably in her mid-40s, something like that. So lifelong Democrat, only voted Democrat her whole life. And she just jumped on and said, said some nonsense defending Biden, you know, that that was one quote. You're just going to take that out of context. And my, my first thought was, how is that out of context? Like he, those are, those are just his words. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what context Regarding this issue, but the very next thing she posted was some article, excuse me for all the throat clearing. I keep eating this goddamn McDonald's and it's killing me slowly <laughs> and not very slowly either. But the next article that the, this liberal posted in defense of Biden was an article where they were doing an interview with God. What was her name? What's the girl who says she's like uh, part Cherokee and, you know, uh, accused Bernie? Of- Elizabeth Warren? Elizabeth Warren, sorry. Went brain dead. I was, I was living in blissful ignorance of her name, and I'd like to, I'd like to go back to that time. Yeah. <laughs> I really haven't thought about Elizabeth Warren in a while. So, so, so Elizabeth Warren so is, this, 
It was an article about uh, Elizabeth Warren explaining why you can't ratify Roe v. Wade and why it actually can't be law and why it's even better that it's not. <laughs> so I, I, of course, first threw up on myself. Um, and then, then I, I went to the keyboard and I said, can, can we please, for the love of God, not use Elizabeth Warren as an argument here? Anyway, we go back and forth for a while, completely unintelligible thought. You know, eventually she, she starts calling me a Trump, a Trump supporter. And I'm like, well, ma'am, I'm, I'm actually a communist. And she's like, oh, so I bet that you're just loving uh, the Russia who are who's in Ukraine right now raping little boys. And I'm like, Whoa. man, that, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. We don't have time to unpack all that. <laughs> a lot of jumps there. A lot of jumps. Big ones. <laughs> so you were around for the fall of the Soviet Union. Like, you were alive. Yeah. I know. Like, not even young at that point. You know, like, my age. So she, uh, I, I explained to her, I was like, you do know the difference between Bolshevik Russia and the Federation, right? You know, the Federation being extremely oligarchical, neoliberal, American, you know, like they're very common things to what we have at home. And anyway, she goes, she goes back and forth. And I told her, I was like, no, I do not support the Federation, nor do I support Azov. And she's like, oh, you don't support the defenders against uh, Russian invasion? And I'm like, whoa, easy now. And uh, she's like, that is their military. And I was like, yeah, those <laughs> proud members of the Tornado Battalion, right? Yeah, I was like, well, it, it, it's it's not their fucking military. They have an actual military. It's this little subsect that somehow gained legitimacy and is basically just a group of Nazis who convinced someone to make them an, an actual part of the National Guard. And who also now it's legal to be Nazis. Who, and who also tells Zelensky to go fuck himself when he tells them to, like, back off and stop killing Ukrainians. Yeah, and the, the founder was like literally like the future of Ukraine is to bring forth white supremacy and to and then made a quote about killing all the Jews and use the the old German word which is uh, whatever the opposite of Ubermensch is I forget the the lesser mensch oh, the Uber, yeah. yeah so so that word um, anyway so I I gave her a few articles from you know what I assumed to be extremely liberal uh, news sources that maybe she would listen to since she wouldn't listen to reason. So one of them was like the Hill and she literally scrolls down to an article where it says there's a very large Jewish population, takes a screenshot, posts it on it and says, you should read the whole article. And I was like, what the fuck does that have to do with what we're talking mm -hmm. about? First of all, and I was like, sure, you got me there. I guess, man, I guess. And so anyway, she eventually gets to Russia Gate out of nowhere and literally says what we need to do is remove Russians from the world and also eradicate all the Trump supporters like you. And I was like, OK, Whoa, I right. thought I had a lot to unpack before. I was like, but did you just tell me that you believe we should genocide the Russians? And she said, you know, God once created a flood to make things better. There it is. And I go, mm -hmm. Jesus fucking Christ, lady. 
And she goes, please don't use the Lord's name in vain. There it is. Luckily for you, he's a made-up imaginary friend because I'm not sure how cool a literal God who created all of us would be with fucking genociding an entire race of people. I was like, do you really not see the connections? I was like, this is what CNN does to your brain. You have been so just removed from reality that you have become a Nazi. You are blatantly supporting Nazis. You believe in genocide. I mean, it's crazy. And that's where the liberals are. And maybe not every liberal will say those words she said, but I'd be surprised if a lot of them did not believe that maybe killing off a bunch of Russians would be in this world's best interest. Dude, I mean, the shit the liberals have been saying ever since this started, dude. Yep. I thought I would feel like the slightest bit bad about like when we recorded our episode saying Russia like definitely wasn't going to invade Ukraine. And then like we recorded that episode the night that they invaded Ukraine. <laughs> I thought we were going to feel like dumb, but no, dude, like liberals have been way worse than I could. Again, just way worse than you and I expected. Right. I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm going to take this opportunity. We got another seven and a half minutes left in the episode. Ryan, please go ahead and plug all of your social medias. If you have any like, recent episodes that you want to shout out again, like please plug everything and uh, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, again, um, thank you all for having me on the show. Um, check out Activist News Network on Instagram um, and Activist News Network on YouTube. But there's a YouTube show. Um, most recent interview was uh, Lorenzo Comboa Irving. He's a former Black Panther, former, former member of SNCC, former Skyjacker. You guys don't know what Skyjackers are. Do your homework. Sounds fucking hot. <laughs> former skyjacker, former political prisoner, you know, goes through his life and then, and then gives us his analysis and diagnosis of the movement today and where we should go forward. Um, and then previous interview was Roxanne Dunbar, Dunbar Ortiz speaking about settler colonialism <laughs> and the connection between gun violence in America today. Also, that we're not a nation of, of the U.S. is not a nation of immigrants. And then the episode before that was Ruba Ben Wahad, who was one of the first members of the Black Panther Party in New York, a member, founding member of the Black Liberation Army, a political prisoner for many years, and um, also talking about his life and his diagnosis of the movement today and how, how we should move forward. So oh, check it out. Dude, fantastic. I mean, okay, so I have not, I didn't like click through to your YouTube channel. Like I only know of your Instagram presence and I just, liked what you posted there. And that was all that prompted me to invite you on the show. So when you started introducing your channel at the beginning of the show, I was like, wow, I think I kind of underestimated what this guy was up to. And then, and now that you say like who your recent guests are and your recent news, I'm like, holy shit, I absolutely underestimated like what you're up to over there. So everyone should please check out the YouTube channel. And I will wrap up by saying that like, yeah, you are invited on anytime you want to come back on. And especially if you want to talk about something that's more relevant to like something you're doing, if you want to talk about any of the topics that you're covering over there or any of your recent episodes, please feel free to DM me and you are welcome back on absolutely anytime. Right on. And again, shout out to you, to you guys, man. You know, it's a really important work what you guys are doing. I can't say enough about it. And thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, I find it hard to take anyone seriously when they say that like we're doing any important work (laughs) doing a podcast or on Instagram, but like, I appreciate it nonetheless because I understand the sentiment. I want to take the last four and a half minutes that we have here and I want to do like some major plugs because I think it'll be the last time that we read out all our Patreon subscribers. And Ryan, you definitely have to stick around for this because it's like uh, us circle jerking about our fan base and everything. But thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Uh, peace out, guys. Take care. Have a great night. All right. I'm going to read off all 60 of our Patreon subscribers at this point. 
And, and uh, from then on, it will just be the new people. So thank you, as always, to Jamie, Ryan, Andrew, Carpe Imperium, Daniel from the 262 Talks podcast. I hope they're still doing that. Khadija, Jess, Carlos, our own People's Commissar, our producer, Sekrith, Travis, Vincent, Jeremiah, Leon, Leon the Globalist, Anwar, Luis, Hunter, Eldridge, Chris Nix, another Jamie, Tank Comrade, Jeremy, CJ, Drew, Hugo, Zach, Safari, Dead Banded Yuda, Bill Boswagons, that's actually Nick from uh, the Intervention Pod, Caitlin, which is Caitlin from Caitlin's Conspiracy Corner, Kyle, Garden of Nurgle's Delights, Comrade Rev, now we're back into the familiar territory, <laughs> Cosmic Crown, Michael, Van, Sigmund, Stuart, Pizzeria, Zach, Raven Enigma, Marvin, Jush Guevara, <laughs> Not Drinking Water 69, James, Elam, Venture X, Jared, another Jared, Bill Killionaires, Tristan, Charlotte, James, Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, MC, Don Bovey Fan 420, Kyle, Jean Claude Manhands, Neil, and Phil. Phil, my friend Phil is now our oldest patron because Blackwater Janitor is not a patron, but I'm going to still say Blackwater Janitor because I miss that guy. He doesn't talk to us anymore because we're too revisionist for him. We still love you, Kyle. Please come back to the server and hang out with us. Um, I also did want to take this opportunity. I was just writing down like literally comrades in the Discord in my notepad that I just want to shout out because you fuckers keep our Discord alive. And literally, I want to say all the time, like it takes a lot for me to not just like almost on a daily basis gush to all the people in Discord about how much I love the fact that they're all there to provide like emotional support all the time for everybody. It is so fucking huge to have that group of people available all the time that you can talk to and be like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Like the rest of the world is really fucked up and it is hard to deal with sometimes. So I wanted to also just shout out, a lot of these are also patron subscribers. So Mail, Juniper has been active a lot. Comrade Lucifer, Adrian, Comrade Kebab, Australia, who is Jared, Carl with a K, and of course, Ananya, the OG. Yeah. And uh, type one dialectic. I don't know if you, like, hopefully everybody remembers the diabetes episode. Like, oh, yeah. it's a very recent one, but like, holy fuck, that dude is funny. One. That guy's hilarious, dude. <laughs> he is so hilarious in the Discord all the time. Great. Oh, Any shout outs you guys got before we go? Just my man, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, join the SRA, join the PSL, join like any kind of solidarity movement. Find the most base organization. Like, I feel like people you should be getting. Get beyond the DSA at this point. Come on. You should have found the more base doors by now. <laughs> we did that episode a couple months ago. <laughs> Get and gear. Find out train. that you're supporting Nazis. Don't do that. Try not to. Don't. Yeah. Just try. Try it. <laughs> do better. All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight. Right, guys? Sounds oh. good. This was fun. This was good. Yeah. Dude, so glad to be here. Have you guys back. Later, guys. Later, Peace. Peace.